Malachi chapter 3 and verse 7, Even from the days of your fathers, ye have gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. That phrase just stuck in my mind and my heart this week. Return unto me, and I will return unto you. Acts chapter 1 and verse 12 says, Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. I want to speak to you this morning from this subject, the return, the return. Under the reading of the word of God, everyone said in Jesus' name. name. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. This past Christmas, I guess a little more than um, two months ago, um, my family and I received uh, a special gift, uh, this, this little dog uh, named Bear. And uh, he is something, this, this little uh, mini golden doodle. There he is. He has stolen my, my wife's heart, uh, not to mention our kids. And uh, he, he is a clever uh, little puppy. He is uh, part Houdini. He has figured out how to get out of his crate, which we put him in whenever we leave, come to church or go elsewhere. And we have zip tied the door shut. We have done everything we know to do. My wife even got this little thing called a pet cube. It has a little camera on it. You can watch him as he, as he works through the great escape um, while we're gone. And he somehow continually figures out how to get out of his crate. So we know that he's bright, but He's also has a very strong will that goes along with his brightness. And um, he knows how to ring the bell on, on the door when he uh, needs to go out. Uh, he's learned how to sit. Uh, he's learned uh, how to stay. Uh, he's learned how to run around the, the yard without a leash. And um, he has one issue that uh, we continue to try and learn. Uh, something that we will just call for the purposes of illustration this morning, the return. He struggles with the return. When he goes out in the yard, he doesn't leave the yard, but sometimes there are many distractions that are out there in the yard, and he forgets his way home. Uh, he wants to chew the bark that's in the flower bed. Uh, he wants to investigate the smell of a stray cat, uh, the small puddle of water that's been there and and a little divot in the yard for a couple of days, you know, that's stagnant. He thinks that looks pretty interesting. He doesn't have a problem going out. The challenge is coming back. To return back from where he first departed seems to be the biggest challenge. Even whenever uh, we practice fetch with the throwing of the ball, he does a great job chasing the ball, getting the ball in his mouth. But as he makes his way back, he drops it to check out this and investigate that and, and forgets that he's supposed to bring the ball back. So we're working on that. It's the return. But as I was thinking about this principle that I want to talk to you about today from the Word of God, I got to thinking that it's very possible that we as human beings are not all that different. It's, it's not that we don't love being with our Master, our Creator, but just sometimes we get distracted in life. And it's hard to make that trip back home. You see, to return is to change directions twice 
This was interesting to me because we know what turn means. And we know that the prefix re means again. So to return requires you to turn again more than once. You can be headed straight and you can make a 90 degree turn, but you won't head back to where you came from unless you turn again. So a return requires two turns to get back from whence you came. And when you start turning back to whence you came, that's when you get back on track. Sometimes in life, we're presented with obstacles and challenges and we, uh, we, we take a, an alternate course, but we don't necessarily have a 180 degree turn that allows us to return. I want to talk to us today about how to return, how to return back to what I believe God is calling us all to. If we were to return an item, then you have to go back to the store that it came from. You, you can't buy it from Lowe's and return it to Home Depot. That's not a return. In fact, that may be fraud. I'm not sure. You got to go back to Lowe's. You got to go back to where you first purchased it. A return trip is not going to another city than you were headed to. That, that may just be uh, a deviation. That may be a, a multi-city ticket. But a return is to go back to the city of your origin. To return back to your roots. We understand that one day these bodies are going to return back to the earth from whence they came. But we're more than just body. We're made up of body, soul, and spirit. And one day, every one of us, in our soul, we are going to return back to our Creator. We're going to go back to where we started from. The book of Job, which I believe many people claim to be the oldest book in the Bible, says in uh, chapter 1 and verse 21, as Job had gone through all of these trials of life, lost his health, lost his family members, lost his, his wealth, lost everything, and now he's even questioning his own sanity, his own uh, spirituality, and he finally comes to this conclusion in the 21st verse of the first chapter in the book that bears his name. He says, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Sometimes you got to get to that place where you go, I don't understand why everything is happening the way it is. I don't understand loss of relationship. I don't understand loss of my job. I don't understand the loss of my health. But here's one thing I know. I came into this earth with nothing and I may return with nothing. But I'm going to bless the Lord anyhow. I'm going to bless the name of the Lord anyhow. One day if God delays his return and one day if time is kind to us and we have several decades to live on this earth, one day we will return. We will go back to that place where we started. But I believe that in life, between the bookends of life and death, is the opportunity to return many times. It's not just the origin and the final destination. But throughout life, you and I have the opportunity to return. To return back to that special place of our nativity. It was a borrowed room from a friend, the size of a modern living room. Upstairs, perhaps not used on a daily basis. 
outside stairs with a separate entrance. The quarters for guests or perhaps a gathering on a special occasion. It has become known as the upper room. It's identified and remembered for it is where Luke records in the first and second chapters of the book of Acts that the disciples went back to after Jesus ascended and went into heaven from Mount Olivet. The upper room was where the followers of Christ were praying when the Holy Ghost was poured out. It became known as the birthplace of the New Testament church. But the significance of that room did not start with just the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Luke, who is the author of the book of Acts, he records in the gospel that bears his name that the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples before he was led away to his crucifixion also was held in the upper room. Luke chapter 22 and verse 11, we read this narrative, And ye shall say unto the good men of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber, where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large upper room, furnished, there make ready. And they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. Also in the Gospel of Mark chapter 1 and verse 45, 14 and verse 5, it records the same thing. And he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared there make ready for us. It would make sense that they would return to the place that they had last been in fellowship with Jesus before the crucifixion. When he wrapped his proverbial arms of love around those followers and told them what was to happen and told them that this was the fulfillment of the mission, that special place when they felt the closeness of God, it would make sense that having gone through the crucifixion, having gone through the resurrection, and then the 40 days of him on this earth, and then finally the ascension, that when those angels on Mount Olivet reminded them that they were to go back to Jerusalem, and to pray until they be endued with power from on high. Until the promise of the Father would come. It would make sense that they would go back to that place. Where they remembered that special time with the Lord. When we were building this church in 1999. I can remember having a conversation with fire marshals. That were inspecting the exits and the fire evacuation systems of this facility. And they made this statement that lodged in my brain. They said 90% of people will attempt to leave a building the same place that they entered it. 90% of people in a time of emergency, the alarm system was to go off right now. 90% of you would head toward the door that you came in. It is just our instinct to go back out. We don't want to try to investigate a new door not knowing if it's going to get us outside. We're going to go back to the one that we came in. There's a lot of unexpected events in life. There's a lot of emergency situations that can cause you and I to get distant from Christ. But oh, when you need Him in a midnight hour and there's nowhere else to turn, I've come to tell you there's a, a, a homing mechanism inside of every one of us that's going to bring us back to a place where we get on our knees and get a hold of God and say, Lord, I need to be in harmony with You. I need to go back to the place when I first felt His touch. I've got to go back to the place where I first felt His
His love and His care and His presence. I've come to tell you today, I'm thankful that there's a God that welcomes you and I with open arms. He's not far off on a trip. He's not off on a journey. He is as close as the very mention of His name. For the disciples, it was this upper room. Thirteen people in the room as they gathered to eat. One of the thirteen, Judas, had already started the process of betraying the Lord for thirty pieces of silver. Peter was strong in his faith, not knowing the fears that were going to consume him in just a few hours to the point that he would deny the Lord. It was a moment frozen in time where men sat on the brink of eternity, eating and talking with their friends. And yet the stage is being set for events that would forever change the history of humanity and the future of our existence. Little did they know that in just a single setting, 11 of them would be so transformed by Christ that the very fact that we are sitting here today is the result of that supper in the upper room. Oh, my friend, the return is not an easy journey. But it is the path with the most reward. It's not easy for the prodigal son to kill his pride and return back to his father's house. But oh, once he made the trip, the return trip, he found unspeakable joy. He would have never found that joy going to a friend's house. He would have never found that joy going back to his home city. He had to get back to his father's house. Oh, my friend, there's joy unspeakable when you get back to your father's house. When you get back to that place where you know the Lord first brought you in to this world. It was that place of innocence. It was that place of our original calling and our original destination. I've come to tell you today, that's where you'll find joy. That's where you find purpose. That's where you find the true meaning of life. It's not just the journey in and of itself that brings the satisfaction. It's journeying back to the right place, the special place of our origin. I readily admit this morning that there are some things you don't want to return to. Matthew chapter 2, we read about the three wise men that were searching for the birth of Christ, the baby child, Jesus, the Messiah. It would make sense that they would go to the king believing that he would know what's happening in his kingdom. And Herod had been told that there were prophecies that there would be a king that would be born. And of course, he felt threatened by that. When these wise men from the east came to visit Herod, he said, oh, when you find the baby child, let me know because I want to come and worship him. He was trying to deceive them. Obviously, he would have gone and taken the life of that child. When the wise men finally found a baby Jesus and brought those gifts and they worshipped him, they were warned in a dream not to return back to Herod. Oh, my friend, there's some things you just don't want to return back to. The Bible talks about people returning back to their transgressions and gives the example of a dog returning back to its vomit. Oh, there's some things that God delivers you from so that never again do you have the grip of that addiction on your minds and on your hands and in your heart 
and in your spirit. I'm so thankful that God is able to break the grip of sin and despair and shame and pain. Oh, my friend, if he has ever delivered you, don't ever go back to that place. Be warned from the word of God today. Don't go back to that place. It's a place of destruction. It's a place of heartache. It's a place of hurt. But oh, that's a difference between uh, that that has gone to hurt you and that that can help you. The nativity of your soul, the place of your birth, uh, the place of deliverance you've got to get back to. That's why we return back to an altar when we gather together in this house. uh, Because it was in an altar where we were first touched uh, by the hand of God. It was in an altar where we repented of our sins uh, and God forgave us. Uh, It was in an altar that the Lord delivered us from uh, the addiction of sin. And so when we gather in His name, we gather for the purpose of returning back to that place. Mm, Returning back to a place of salvation. Back to a place of accountability. Back to a place of repentance. Nicodemus was a teacher of the Sanhedrin. He was a man that was truly respected in Jerusalem, in that area, in the time of Christ. Being a member of the Sanhedrin was similar to being a a Supreme Court justice in our day today. He was smart enough to recognize that there was something different about Jesus. He was curious. He wanted to know. He'd heard about the miracles. But he also knew that he would be shunned from his peers if he met with Jesus as Jesus was a threat to their power base. But yet his curiosity would not leave him alone. It kept him up at night. He wanted to know. I want to meet with Jesus. Finally, he found his way to the followers of Jesus. Some of those disciples that he knew, they were close to him. He asked them if he could meet with Jesus privately. They said they would try to arrange it. And so they arranged it for Nicodemus to come and meet Jesus at night. They weren't sure if Jesus' life was being threatened. Jesus assured them he was okay. So in the dark, in a secret place, Jesus meets alone with Nicodemus. And as they begin to talk, Nicodemus began to inquire about the gospel that Jesus was teaching. He acknowledges that Jesus was come from God. But he wondered what the message of Jesus was for him personally. This conversation takes place in the book of John, chapter 3. Verse 3 says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water, and of the Spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, Nicodemus, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. He goes on to say in verse 12, If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? He is telling this wise man that natural birth is simply an illustration of spiritual birth. That when you were born naturally, it involves spirit, which is life and water. And for us to be born again, 
for us to get to the place that God intended for us. He breathed into us the breath of life. That we must journey back to that place of origin in the spirit just as we came to this place through a natural process of birth. But to be born again is to receive spiritual birth. We all have natural birth and we wouldn't be sitting in this room today. We're all living creatures that were born on this planet. But to be fulfilled, to be what God intended for you when He created you in His image, to be whole, to be satisfied, for everything in life to make sense, you've got to be born again. You must return back to a place of origin that involves both water and spirit. This is the message that he gave to Nicodemus. We see the fulfillment of that in Acts chapter 2 as those followers of Jesus now gather in the upper room. They didn't know what was coming. They just went back to the place where they first left him, where he left them, where that road to Calvary began. So they went back to that place. When they first got back there, they had a business meeting. They did what men do. They gathered together and tried to make sense of them coming together. But after they had prayed for some days, they got in an alignment with the will of God. And in Acts chapter 2, it says that as they gathered in that room, they had returned back to a place where they had first been with the Lord. And now they realize that God is going to take them to a place that they've never been before. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, Acts 2.4 says, and begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Oh yes, they're realizing this is the fulfillment of what he was telling Nicodemus. You must be born again you got to be born of the water and of the spirit so they begin to receive not just their human spirit but a holy spirit i've got good news for you today over two thousand years later it's still available to mankind it doesn't matter what nation you're from it doesn't matter your socio-economic level it doesn't matter your education level if you've got a soul if you're a human being that is breathing air you must be saved and you must be filled with his spirit and it is available to you and I today that same day Peter preaches to them about the Messiah and commands them to be baptized in Jesus name why because you must be born of the water and the spirit in verse 38 after he preaches that message of conviction in men and women that have come from all different countries gathered there for the feast of Pentecost in that old city of Jerusalem. And they say, what shall we do? What must we do to be saved? And Peter in verse 38 of Acts chapter 2 says, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then we go forward to verse 41. It says, Then they that gladly received His word were baptized. And the same day, there was added unto them about 3,000 souls. 3,000 souls in one day make the return trip. Come to a place of spiritual birth through the water and the Spirit. 3,000 people that found their way home. 3,000 people that experienced the fulfillment of what Jesus was telling Nicodemus in John 3. They returned not to be born again naturally, but to be born again spiritually. And from that moment to now, 
over the existence of humanity. Millions and millions and day, I say billions, have found their way to a place of spiritual birth uh, by getting back to our roots, uh, by getting back to the place where the Lord loved us enough uh, that He allowed us to be born on this earth. Oh, my friend, uh, that journey back, uh, it became a path. Uh, it became a precedent uh, for all of humanity. Uh, it became a precedent for each and every one of us. Uh, oh, the distractions of life uh, that can cause us to stay out there too long, uh, that can cause us to get distracted from where we first came to this planet but oh my friend the master waiteth the master stands with his arms open wide waiting for you to make that return trip one thing if i can go back to using the example of my experience with my little dog bear one thing i've noticed about bear is that if he gets out in the yard and gets disoriented the other day I took him out early in the morning into the yard. He'd go out there and do his business. And then I got distracted. I saw some weeds that needed to be pulled. And I thought the, the pump was making a funny sound. So I went over there and kicked it with my slipper. Didn't solve anything. There was a mud hole. I tried to put some bricks over it. And when I looked up, I realized the dog was gone. He had gotten distracted and I had gotten distracted. And I looked all around. I went back on the porch. He wasn't on the porch. I went back in the yard. I didn't see him. He usually sticks pretty close. But the only thing I knew to do was just call his name. I said, Bear! Bear! And from over there are the hedges where there's a rabbit that hangs out, a wild rabbit. He must have picked up the smell of that rabbit. From over behind those hedges, here comes Bear running, his ears flopping. Because by calling his name, it oriented him to a place of returning to his master. Oh, my friend. When he speaks your name... When he calls your name, even though you could get distracted, even though you could get disoriented with the wages of sin, there's something about when the Lord speaks to your heart. When you hear him calling your name, it gives you a path back. You know that God is at work in your life. It gives you a clear indication of what your direction must be. I feel him calling some people's names today in this building. Uh, I hear him calling your name and my name. Uh, he's wanting you to come back. Uh, he's there. He's been there all along. He's been there. He's calling. Can you make the way home? Can you make your way back? When Jesus went to the cross and became the sacrifice for the sins of humanity, he did not purchase your salvation in terms of an initial investment. He redeemed what belonged to him in the first place. He's not only your creator, he's your redeemer. He created you, gave you free will. He wants you to be able to run around and enjoy the yard without a leash. That's another whole sermon. Some people's view of God is God's got you on a short leash on a choker chain. That's not the kind of God that I serve. God gives you a big yard to run around in. 
He gives you a big planet to run around and enjoy this life in. He wants you to have freedom. In fact, He's the definition of freedom. Sin is bondage. Salvation is freedom. But when He calls your name, He's saying, I not only gave you life, I'm going to give you life more abundantly. I'm going to redeem you to a place that you were designed to be in. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. You are not your own, my friend. You are the property of your Creator. Sin came in and kidnapped you, but the Lord, your Savior, has paid the ransom note. Woo, hallelujah, and redeemed you. He has bought you twice. Not just through creation, but through redemption. You see, He would never ask for you to do anything that He hasn't already done Himself. He's already made two purchases. All you and I have to do is make two turns. Verse 25 says, And I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. It was this message from the prophet Joel in the Old Testament that foretold of a time of redemption for the nation of Israel that everything that's been taken from you uh, by opposing armies, uh, by disease, uh, by famine, by sickness, uh, by plague, I'm going to restore it all back to you. I feel like preaching to somebody today. I don't know what the devil has taken from you, but God's going to restore it all back to you. Press down, shake it together, and run it over. He's the God of abundance. He's going to restore it all again. Joel, the prophet of the Old Testament, told that story. He's the one that proclaimed it. The Spirit of God's going to come again. Then when Peter is standing on the porch of that upper room, as that crowd from all over gathers, Peter begins to proclaim, this that you hear, this that you see, is what your prophet Joel was prophesying. It's the fulfillment of what he foretold years before. It has returned. Now you must return. Because the same spirit that he has given to humanity is the same spirit that resurrected Jesus out of a grave. Romans 8.11 says, If the spirit of him that raised up Christ from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead will also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that liveth in you. It is the giving of that gift. And my friend, that gift is still available. He gave it to you at the very beginning when he gave you life. But he wasn't done with you when he just gave you life. He still wants to have a relationship with you. He still wants to call you. Your name. Uh, he still wants to carry you in the arms of God. Uh, Nicodemus said, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to go back to my mother's womb? Uh, Jesus said, no, no, we're not talking about a natural birth. Uh, but if I can use this metaphorically, it is time to return back uh, to the bosom of our Heavenly Father and get the arms of God back around us again and realize though we've made mistakes uh, and though we have the scars uh, of sin uh, on our life, uh, there's a God
God that still loves you. There's a God that still reaches for you. There's a God that is calling your name. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Oh, I feel God in this house. Jesus. Can you just listen for a moment? I think you'll hear him calling your name and your spirit right now. Come on, my friend. It's time to come home. I know you got distracted out there with all the cares of life. I want you to come home. I want you to return back to that place of innocence. Place of joy. A place of wonder. God said, I've got it for you. Don't disqualify yourself. Don't disqualify yourself from receiving what God has for you. Just make your way back. How many will make their way down to this altar right now this morning? Did you come back to that place? You come and stand down here in the front and lift up your hands. Say, Lord, I'm coming back to you. Tried everything else. But I hear you calling my name today. If you're not comfortable coming down here, maybe just from where you're standing in your seat. Would you take a moment and talk to God? I think you'll find he's right close to you. Come on, if you just turn around, you'll find him. He's right there. Just on the other side of my fear, I see Him. Just on the other side of my pride, I see Him. He's calling your name. He's calling your
It's all about 